Good afternoon, everybody. We are recording. It is the 1st of March. We are into March already, Janet Anscombe. And this is Cleo O'Flynn, and you're welcome to another edition of CanaryCast. Over to you, Janet. Hello and welcome from me and happy St. David Day, everybody, because it's the National Day of Wales today. It is indeed. It is indeed. And uh, congratulations on the Triple Crown to Wales as well. That was rather unexpected, I have to say. <laughs> well, Ireland certainly weren't in it at all this year. Um, I'm just delighted they beat it. No. We are obviously talking about rugby people, if you're not rugby fans, and Wales beat England decisively. So, some might complain with some help from the referee, but they did They did win and they have a, a triple crown. So, I, I think anybody who... Anybody who listens to a Welsh and Irish hosted podcast is going to find rugby <laughs> creeping in somewhere. So we should just keep it quiet now, otherwise we'll offend half our listeners. <clears throat> Indeed. All right, we shall move swiftly on, move swiftly on. Listen, um, let's start first of all with updates on high-risk countries, entries in and out of Spain from the UK, Janet. What's the latest news? The latest is that um, the EU has this sort of weather map, if you like, of where the COVID outbreaks are, are worst. And the high risk countries are those that countries within the EU are allowed to take special measures for. Now, Spain is requiring a PCR or TMA or a lamp test for any arrivals from countries that are on the list. And the UK remains on the list and it's just been extended to the 14th of this month so we've got another fortnight and obviously anybody coming from the UK at the moment can only come if they're a resident legally because there is a ban on arrivals non-resident arrivals from the UK and in any case the UK has banned people going on on holiday from the UK but those who can get in from the UK must still bring a PCR, TMA or lamp test because the high risk countries list has been extended and the UK remains on it until at the moment, the 14th of March. Okay, so that's just to clarify people, you shouldn't be traveling into Spain from the UK anyway, because the, the UK right. government has, has said you shouldn't be traveling. If you are resident in Spain um, and you're returning here, you must have one of those tests. And that's just, yes. and you, you must Absolutely. have it before you leave the UK. Yes, and of course you would be coming in with your passenger location form and um, as, well as, as well as your test and your doc, a document that proves you're legally resident in Spain. Now that's normally going to be the TIA or the Certificado de Registro, mm -hmm. but it can now, as we were talking about last Monday, it can also be a rental contract or, um, proof of employment or an escriture of ownership showing that you are living in Spain. Exactly. Now, sticking with COVID for a few minutes, Janet and I spoke during the week because we thought we'd bring it quite local um, because we know I and many others have been um, bereft of certain items that the Iceland overseas supermarkets have been bringing us. Particular, I mean, I know from my point of view, it's all the vegetarian burgers and sausages because that because the teen is a vegetarian um, also sliced bread milk quite a lot of stuff that the shelves do not stock at the moment uh, and we know or believe that this is because of holdups because of brexit so 
And I think this this does a lot of people like to pop into to Iceland shops every now and then. So just to let you know, we have asked Iceland. I mean, I went on their online page and I've requested either an interview or information from them. Now they haven't got back to us yet, but we would still like to hear from them, wouldn't we, Janet? We would. So if anybody from Iceland is um, is listening to this and can give us five minutes, perhaps next Monday or before then to record a piece, it would be great to know what the situation is because people are finding that they can't find their crumpets or their tea bags or their particularly their English cheeses. And without going into the politics of it, I mean, it, it, it's just a nuisance if you are used to getting certain stuff and you're not familiar with the Spanish equivalents, perhaps, then, you know, it's where a lot of people do shop. It is an opportunity, of course, to get to know some Canarian products. Um, while Iceland's shelves are, um, are less than full, but obviously- well, We all have a little have thing of things we like. I, I mean, for me, tea bags, I get my lion's tea in Iceland and I just, it's the only tea that I can drink. Really. But of course I can drink other tea, but it's the only tea I want yeah. to drink apart from Barry's tea, which I have to go to. Oh, there is, there's somewhere that will sell me Barry's tea as well. Um, but I mean, if Iceland people are saying, well, we're not going to go on because we don't do a live interview, we're not trying to grill anyone. If you'd like to send us information, that That's just right. you know gives us the latest the latest updates on when you expect goods to arrive. We'd be more than happy to mention it on the podcast either. Exactly, because we'd not only be informing people about when they can expect their favorite products to be back in the store, but it it'll do Iceland no harm at all that people know exactly. when they can go to the shop and, yeah. and do the shopping. So as you say, we're not looking to grill anybody, it's just uh, people want to grill their sausages, particularly Linda <laughs> exactly. McCarthy. <laughs> real Iceland people, just Iceland produce. <laughs> I mean, we. I'm. I am as susceptible as everybody. I have lived here for 21 years, but sometimes I just want what I suppose I should put in inverted commas proper toast. <laughs> I've adapted in many ways, but you know there are certain things that I just feel can only be properly blended, as in tea bags or maybe toasty bread, as I like to call it, is yeah, hard exactly. to come by here. I'm sure there'll be people who'll come on air and say, you're being ridiculous and you can get nice toasty bread, hither, hither and yawn. But I like I like the Iceland stuff. So there you go, little it's bit. Also, there, there is also a genuine element of familiarity as yeah. comfort, particularly in a time of COVID. Exactly. And, you know, people are feeling they are lacking some stability in their lives perhaps at the moment because we are all living through unprecedented times and sometimes even if it's only an English muffin or a nice bit of cheddar you just feel like something familiar or a bottle of comforting. <laughs> <laughs> and it's just struck me Janet Anscombe um Easter eggs I mean if I can't get a Maltesers or a Cadbury's Easter egg I, you know, I'll be in big trouble. So, not for me, of course, not for me. We'll have to look yeah, at Yeah, it's a good point, Ashley. Easter eggs, they are a particularly so English... Iceland, can you let us know about the I Easter eggs? Yeah. Well. Anyway. <laughs> anyway, anyway. Listen, um, can I just bring down the mood a little bit, but it, this is an important story. 
uh, that a lot of people will have been following and it would kind of were able to, to put a full stop onto it or to bring it to an end in a sense. A lot of people will know that a, an Irish man called Peter Wilson went missing here on his holidays in Tenerife in 2019. And a couple of weeks ago, a body was found um, in a deje, but people were asked to just hold off on saying anything, but the authorities have now confirmed that it is sadly the body of Peter Wilson. His family have issued a statement. By the way, the authorities are saying, from what I've read in the Diario de Avisos, that it has bears all the signs of an accidental death. There does, there's no signs that anything untoward happened to poor Peter. It seems to have been an accident. I'm just going to read, if I can, the first couple of lines from a statement that have been issued by the family, because I think people will be interested, Janet. People follow the story. Yes, of course they will. Of course they will. They say, it is with deep sadness we can now confirm that Peter Wilson's remains have been found in Tenerife. The family are currently focusing on bringing Peter home to his final resting place in Rochford Bridge with the support and assistance of the Kevin Bell Repatriation Trust. During this difficult time, we would request privacy and time to grieve the loss of our son, brother, father, grandson, nephew, cousin, dear friend and work colleagues. And they also say, uh, it's been an ongoing search for almost two years. We have been supported throughout this time by so many organizations and friends. We would like to thank SOS Desaparecidos, GBE, Noah's Ark, and all their volunteers, Bomberos Voluntarios de Adeje, Katrina Lowry, Dina Edwards, Pilar Donis, Siviero, and so many more in Tenerife. Uh, and they also go on to thank the national police here in Spain, the police, the Irish Garda Shikona, that's the Irish police and the Department of Foreign Affairs. So, um, oh, sorry, also mentioned Missing Persons Island, Ireland and the Lucy Blackman Trust. That's the bones of their statement. They also have requested privacy. So as far as I'm concerned, our condolences, our sympathies. Um, we, I hope that in some small way, this can bring closure and some level of comfort now to the family that they can they can say goodbye to Peter. And I don't know if we've anything yes. more to say on that. No, no, we don't. Uncertainty is horrible in, in the worst possible sense because nobody knows. And the imagination can do often far worse than any human being can do to another human being. We can torture ourselves more than anybody else can. So for anybody who's lost anybody, finding a body like this, however grievous it is, it does, it's bound to give some closure and I hope it does provide some, it won't provide any comfort of course, but I, I hope that the, as you say, the fact that the body's been found and it does look like it was an accident, at least their worst imaginings haven't come exactly. to fruition and hopefully that will help the healing process. It, it's a terrible situation for an, anybody and there are too many of these sorts of stories here, aren't there? And it's so easy to imagine you go out for an evening and you slip off all over on the way home and nobody knows where you're supposed to be or where you might have been. And all one can ever hope for this is if you can't have the outcome you want, then at least have closure. Exactly. And, and I think there we, we will leave it there and, and our heartfelt sympathies to the family. And um, thank you to all those who helped them while they were here. Exactly. Right. Um, 
we kind of we don't have a guest this week we, we've started to have regular guests and we have a couple of people that we want to talk to in the very near future i think um now one thing i was struck by was oh my phone's just gone peep peep was that it is now over a year janet since you and i found ourselves in the middle of the media storm that was the beginning of the COVID nightmare, I suppose, for the rest of Europe. Yes. Um, because yes. the first on the, the, the mid 20th, the 23rd or 4th of February, the 24th, I think, was when the first two cases were announced in the H10 Costa Deje Palace Hotel in Adeje. And yes. last week, um, in fact, if you remember at the time, the hotel just went into lockdown almost immediately. And it seemed like, because I was outside working as a journalist, the operation was incredibly smooth. And within, I'd say, 48 hours, you had local police down there who were being both friendly and helpful, but keeping, making sure people kept their distance from the hotel. You had um, health workers down there testing people, testing guests. The guests were quarantined for 14 days. Um, there were volunteers dropping down nappies, uh, sanitation needs for guests, books and jigsaws for kids. I mean, the community really did come together, I think. And it was nice to note that last week, the Adeke Council actually voted to award the municipal gold medal to the hotel, to all of the hotel staff, not just the director, but to all of the hotel staff and the kind of ancillary workers because in hindsight, it's all very well to say, Asher, they did a good job, but they were the first. This was the first hotel in this situation yeah. where an outbreak had been detected. And what they were doing now, what they were doing then was pioneering. They were, they were putting in place a plan that was being evolved as it happened. And um, the, you know the general feeling, and apparently the plan has now been quoted in a lot of international um epidem and i can never say this word studies international epidemiological <laughs> thank you janet i do speak english <laughs> the first language but certainly <laughs> but anyway so that how they handled it has been praised internationally as the right thing to have done so it's kind of good that they've got a little bit of recognition and i know when i put it up on the adeje site it's one of the notices i've put up that probably has got the most traffic from people I mean, people in general agree that they 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 did well. But it, they were ordinary people, weren't they? They were they were people like us all, and they were faced with a new situation where all we knew was that this was a new type of SARS and was very very at the time new and dangerous and frightening and the whole hotel was shut down and suddenly you got the world and his wife from media sources from china to canada camped on your doorstep on the roof of the commercial center opposite and police outside and everybody in masks and hazmat suits and there were people going into work voluntarily dealing with a situation that would have had many running a mile yeah. And they weren't required to go into work. They were asked, obviously, if they wanted to, they would be welcome because there were people working in that hotel. It wasn't just the guests who were in lockdown. The staff were sleeping there, 
sleeping there, you know, washing there, eating there, separated for a long time from their own families, yeah. months from their children. And this sort of recognition, it, this gold medal, it, it might sound, I don't know, a bit cliched to people who don't know the way things work here, but these gold medals are a way of municipalities or even the Tenerife Cabildo or the Canarian government at times really rewarding someone who has gone over and above. Yeah. So a bit like the Queen's Honours, if, if you like. Yes, it on, is a on, local on, award for, for excellence yes. in both in work well done. Exactly. And in this particular case, it was work, as you say, it was groundbreaking. It was an absolutely unprecedented situation at the time. OK, subsequently, they've said, well, we wouldn't lock down a whole hotel at all. But that's because they now know how they can control this sort mm -hmm. of thing when it does break outside of an enclosed environment. They know what they're dealing with much more. At the time, nobody did that. Apart from the fact it was a job well done, I think that courage deserves the medal alone mm. because that took some courage. They did not know what they were dealing yes. with. Yes. But they still went into work. Yeah, they did. They did. Yeah. And I mean, well done. Say, we forget easily that one year ago, nobody knew what well, we, we had heard little bits about um, something that had happened in China. We had marveled and almost kind of gasped in incredulity at how the Chinese had locked down uh, whole streets yes. and villages with people not even been and said, well, that could never happen here. Kevin forfend that that would ever happen here. Um, and there was one case in La Gomera. We knew about a tourist who had quarantined. And then suddenly That's within right. the two months in we were in lockdown on the 14th of March. We went into complete lockdown here in the Canary Islands and in Spain. And suddenly, you know, a whole new way of thinking. And the other thing that struck me was a whole new vocabulary has, has evolved. And I mean, at some stage, we should evolve a COVID bingo game, you know, to see <laughs> how many bingo words <laughs> from lockdown to, I don't know, PCR to <laughs> social distance. PCR, TMA, lab. Mascarilla. <laughs> yes, in two languages. Two language COVID bingo. I think it could be the new online yeah, Zoom game we could play. Absolutely. But yeah, I mean, like you say, it is more than a, a, a tug of the forelock. It's more than a tokenistic nod to the staff. It is not. Yeah, it is. It is not tokenistic. It actually means something. These people will always have this official recognition of what they did when they were well, they were the vanguard, weren't they? I mean, they really yeah. were the trailblazers, rather. I mean, they really were for an outbreak that none of us knew what we were dealing with. And, and they were prepared to go and literally, at the time, risk their lives for all they knew. Yeah, like you said. To deal with this. And, and I, I am quite sure um, that... You know, while people might think that, say, the tourism department here in Adeche or in Arona or in in Puerto de la Cruz, it's just kind of sitting back on its heels waiting for Madrid to tell them what to do. I, I, I'm very sure that they're all working locally with hotel groups, with volunteer groups to put new protocols and plans in place for when tourism returns to the island. So, you know, they will be ready. And it might be, a yes, it, it, there will be slightly different ways perhaps of checking in of of maybe having your meals but 
you know, all of these things are being planned meticulously now so that when the time comes, your holidays will be as, as possibly as nice or nicer than they were before. Yeah, the whole thing at the moment is an exercise in getting through the next weeks and months until it is safe. In, in the scientists' view, and the politicians obviously take their lead from the scientists, in the scientists' view of it being safe to resume international travel is pointless doing it now, before Easter, for example, and then finding that come May, we're, we're back in lockdown because exactly. figures have soared again. So they have to play this carefully. And the, the thing they really do need to do is make sure the assistance gets to those who need it in the meantime, because there are people who are struggling very greatly yeah. because they aren't able to work in an industry that is not able to resume functioning normally at the moment. And no fault of obviously, we, we all want tourism back and safely so. Safe, but safe tourism. That safety requires a bit of time yet and they they know this and this is why they are keeping such a tight grip on the, on the levels and at the moment for example Tenerife's in level two they have a, a very clear eye on Easter because Easter week starts at the end of this month we're now in March mm. and Good Friday is April the 2nd I think so we are starting the end of this month is the beginning of Easter week Obviously, very many things aren't going to take place as they did in the past, but they certainly can't have the gatherings, not, not within one month from now. They, they have to have rules in place. And we, I think we can expect some announcements as to what restrictions they're going to impose, like they did with Carnival. Yeah, I mean... Special ones. For, for instance, sadly, but obviously the Good Friday street theatre that is so fabulous here in Adeke won't be taking place this year. Um, and, you know, yeah. I, I've been working here helping to translate um, the, the agenda of events. There are some events that are currently being scheduled, all being well, a couple of concerts um, and one or two events, but some of them will be with limited participation or audience participation and an online option. Um, and. And as you say, a lot of that is still to be confirmed because we're still looking to see how the situation evolves. So Easter will be marked, but I mean, Spanish Easter is such normally such a colorful and very public and very open spectacle and celebration. Um, I mean, while Christmas might have affected us Northern Europeans to, to some degree more than it did the Spanish, I think the lack of Easter will affect the Spanish people, especially perhaps the older residents, a lot more because it is very important to them. I couldn't agree more. I mean, you, you ask anybody about what does Christmas mean for you? And if they're Spanish, they might say Los Reyes, Los Reyes Magos, and Northern European might say Santa Claus and his presence and food. And we'd all have the same, pretty much the same idea. You ask a Northern European, what does Easter mean to you? It's maybe Simnel cake if you're German or Easter eggs if you're British or American or Irish and um, Easter bunnies, Easter yeah. bonnets. You ask, you ask a Southern European, an Italian, a Portuguese, a Spaniard or maybe not so much a Greek, although they have a different tradition. Um, what does Easter mean to you? And it is much more revered 
yeah. than it is in, in the north. It is much more religious. It You ask them that a chocolate Easter egg is not the first thing they're going to think of. They're going to think of the Stations of the Cross, the Crucifixion, the Passion Play. The religious elements will be far more to the forefront of their mind. And they experience these like all the faithful of any religion anywhere in groups, in Large congregations. And that is what the authorities are so concerned about at the yeah. moment. Yeah. I, I am hoping that because by their very nature, those who would normally gather for Easter uh, events are perhaps those who also understand that rules need to be obeyed. I mean, maybe I'm typecasting people here. I don't think it will be as worrying as, say, New Year or Carnival, because while Easter is about gathering large processions, it's not about having large parties. It's about exactly. religious gatherings. So, In fact, know. that's what Carnival is, isn't it? That's exactly yes. what Carnival is for, to allow you to let your hair down and get, get everything out of your system. Before Lent and then before Easter. Exactly, for anybody. Another day, maybe next year, we'll go through all that, like why Carnival is about the lead up to, to Ash Wednesday. It's kind of the, the, mad, the mad letting go before the 40 days of hardship. That's Yes, and we might there. even have a Carnival of some note next year, because this year it's been so subdued that they didn't even have a Carnival Queen. No. They, they had... The, the previous, the way they've done it this year is that there is no carnival queen, there's a carnival guardian. And one of the former winners of the, I think it's one of the former child carnival queen winners has been chosen as the, I suppose, the keeper of the scepter. Okay, the, so, the so it's passed on. Guardian. So it's passed on, but there's no carnival queen. Hopefully next year there will be. I think going through what carnival is also what it's all about, whether we're talking about Mardi Gras or Carnival or Fat Tuesday or whatever, it'll be good to go through what it's meant to represent yeah. and how it means so much, so much in, in the Spanish culture compared to, say, a German one or, or, or a French. It's fashion in Germany, isn't it? It's what? Fashion. Fashion, yes. yes. See, I'm not, I'm not that uninformed. <laughs> what, what I did want to ask you about before we we say goodbye, which we might do soon, um, what's what's happening in Candelaria with the statues of the kings, the menses? Oh gosh, yes, that, that was quite funny because the pictures were going started to go around of these statues coming down, and there were two of them. Um, can't remember Roma, Romes, Roman, and the other one was Tigueste, and. It, it looked for all the world like one of these um, protests in the UK that they've had recently where people were pulling down statues and you go, oh my God, what's going on? What it turns out to have been is that a, about a week ago, Candelaria Iuntiniento became aware that the seawall around the outside of the Basilica was starting to look very eroded because it's on the east coast mm -hmm. of Tenerife and the sea can be rather rough. It's the windy coast, isn't it, after all? And the sea can be rather rough there. And over the years, obviously, it has um, weakened the foundations of the sea wall. And anybody who's been to Candelaria knows that all around the harbour, outside the Basilica, right on the edge of the sea wall, are these statues of the old 
Guanche kings, the Menseyes, who used to rule before the Spanish arrived with their conquistadors to take over the Canaries. And so they started to think about doing works to where this wall was starting to fall, only to find that by the end of the very week, the other day, the wall had started to collapse and these kings were about to fall in the water. What timing? Two of them. Yeah, so, I mean, they'd only just noticed and then all of a sudden, within one morning, this, it just shows they can do it when they have to. Within one morning, this pavement started to subside and they had a grower there and those statues were down and they've been taken away temporarily and will be restored after the wall has been repaired. And they, they were cast in bronze. And at the moment, it looks like only those two are affected, but obviously this is now the beginning of a work in progress. So for the moment, there are two fewer Guanche Menseis on the seafront in Candelaria. We need our, our Guanche kings. Okay, um, I think we have we covered our agenda, have we covered our schedule of, of things for today? I think we have, yes. Because I um, want to self-indulge, Janet, as, and, and go out on a song. I like to go out on a song. Well, I, it struck me as we were talking as well that very soon we will be able to indulge our hidden secret, that is that we are both <laughs> absolutely mad Eurovision Song Contest fans and we will just make people listen to various entries over the next couple of weeks. <laughs> but well, both, Welsh and Irish, you're going to get rugby and you're going to get Eurovision, yeah, whether you so like it or not. Either, love us or hate <laughs> can't do anything about it. Listen, there's a friend of mine, a, a, a fabulous woman I was in school with called Mary Stokes. And she's a blues rockabilly singer. And um, out of the blue, she sent me a link to her new album. Now she said that herself and her husband, Brian Pam, were about to go gigging um, when the lockdown happened. So instead they were recording their uh, rehearsals in studio and they decided to put them together as an album and they had some help from a, uh, a producer called Peter Holiday. So the first and the title tracks called Coming Home and I listened to it today and I just thought oh kind of made me cry because it's about it struck me as me wanting to be coming home and I thought of course let's just play a bit of music towards the end of our podcast. I love blues and I think coming home Given that only people who are coming home can come here at the moment, it seems quite appropriate. All right. And just if anybody likes the music, um, uh, it's, she's called Mary Stokes and the CDs and the music is available for download through Bandcamp. So we will have a listen to Coming Home. I don't know 
Coming on home. 